Hello and welcome to the American Soccer Crash Course, audio exclusive here as we uh, we do our Thanksgiving traveling. I'm joined today with our friend of the pod and recurring guest, this time host, Carter Sperry. Carter, how's it going? Hey, doing great. Uh, thanks so much for, for having me back on. You know, uh, I feel like I feel like any idiot could kind of talk his way onto something once, but getting an invite back a second <laughs> time is uh, means you did something right. So it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to uh, to join you again and and looking forward to uh, to talking about what was a what was, I think, a, a really interesting game, not just in the 90 minutes itself, but I think we might touch on on what this means for kind of the trajectory of of this team. Absolutely. And uh, the short term and the long term, right, with a big one coming up Tuesday versus Iran. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Carter, I would just I would just point out, you know, you point out getting invited back. I would say you also got a promotion. Oh, true. I know. I got to I will. I have to uh, I'll check in with the producer and just uh, update, update the W2 form to make sure that uh, to make sure that everything comes out OK with my with my new promotion. That's an extension of the bit that that we make any money on this. Um, <laughs> so, Carter, uh, we're going to start the day off with giving our headlines. If you don't mind me taking the lead here, please. Um, U.S. wins global minds, but not the casuals heart. Um, we knew going into the game that only a win would help the USA advance, uh, or, or rather, not automatically advance, but help their chances of advancing mathematically. Um, and we knew that a win versus England was lofty. So at that point, you know, I'm getting together with all my friends from home, trying to figure out which bar we're going to. Uh, it was a bit of a fire drill, just trying to figure out where we could get get going because places were packed. It was an exciting, exciting day, really. And this felt like a very big, significant culture battle um, in the U.S. Where, where did you get to watch the game? So I was I was watching it from uh, in northern Jersey, actually in the same county that our own Matt Turner is from. Nice. Um, I was at my I was at my girlfriend's house, and they are their family huge soccer fans, huge nice. soccer fans, and so um, we were we were all kind of around the TV, and so watching it in uh, in a more in a more relaxed confine than than maybe maybe you were, but definitely still uh, there, there were no there were no nails left at the at the end of that game <laughs> yeah um so, so surprisingly we were trying to get we had like six or seven of us and we were trying to get in with the american outlaws uh they yeah. have which is like the the big usa um soccer supporters group for those who don't know um and some of us made it to the bar where the outlaws were having their big party they said it was pretty rowdy i was not there yet but um like they they basically locked the doors because it was full capacity and we got elsewhere uh, and surprisingly, the place I went that was more of a casual bar, there were lots of people rocking USA gear, which was cool to see. You know, everyone there clearly there for the game. But um, in terms of the intensity, it was kind of funny because it was a game where we were all watching, uh, but we were in this side area of the bar, and I felt like I was by far the most intense person. I don't even really think I was that <laughs> that crazy. So um, kind of an interesting day, right? It's a win getting everyone there to watch soccer, but – uh, the, I, I guess it's not, it was nothing compared to what you would have expected a Brown scheme to be like at that same bar. So, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think what's important is just the fact that, I mean, you, you talked the, the aforementioned place where they had to, had, they had to close the doors. I mean, 
that's a win for U.S. soccer, just being able to to have the amount of casual fans being able to to fill up places. And yeah, and yeah you know, there isn't going to be the fervor of of what a of what a you know kind of a hometown NFL Sunday may be, but mm-hmm. just the fact that there's people that are out wearing red, white, and blue. You know that have been that kind of went out of their day on their day off could be doing anything and and going out and with their friends to you know to support the team in in what's a a big game kind of not only in a sporting sense but culturally is is really yeah. a is is really a great sign and and that's awesome especially having to wait eight years for for an event like this you know a, an an occasion like this is really great to to see that that people you know got out and about for it. Yeah, and I, I, they were saying it nine months ago when the draw happened, right, uh, that this game was going to be the most viewed game in American soccer history, uh, and it ended up being so with 20 million viewers um, across the U.S., which is pretty cool. Um, and, yeah, you know, loser keeps James Corden, so it's we'll – We'll send him like up to loser. Canada. Yeah, it looks like we're sending him up to Canada. <laughs> exactly. Um, so to, to if I were to put a bow on that headline, on that headline of – USA wins global minds, but not casuals hearts. Um, we performed really well, particularly in the midfield. We made it a contest, performed toe to toe and arguably outperformed England at, at times. And Greg Berhalter always preaches changing the way the world views American soccer. I think to some extent he did achieve that. Right. Um, I think that across the world, people who watch soccer gain some serious respect for the U S in a game that they probably would have expected we would just get shellacked in. Um, But ultimately, I don't think, outside of the minds, I don't think the hearts of Americans were won having to watch a scoreless draw, um, low scoring and ties, pretty much the two things casual fans are likely turned off by, um, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, Not that winning casual fans is everything. This was a World Cup game, but um, there certainly was lots of, cultural context this one i i agree and i think yeah obviously it would have been it would have been great to you know a world cup and and is really a an event of of moments of little moments of when the ball Mm -hmm. hits the back of the net or there's a penalty save or, or something like that and and just to and just to maybe not have even a one one so you can yeah you you agreed you can go ahead or you can get that equalizer or something like that kind of robs so people of, of a little bit of, of enjoyment. And so, yes, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with your headline. Um, but the, I think the goal of showing that we can compete was ultimately accomplished, but maybe the medium in which we did so wasn't the, the, the way we would have liked or maybe the way that would have uh, appeased the public. For sure. For sure. And Carter, your headline? So yours, it would not be as maybe eloquent as, as yours, but I think it is, is that it's a match that shows that we can compete with the best. Mm -hmm. Um, England had, were at the, made it all the way to a penalty shootout against Italy in the Euro final um, a year ago. Then in the World Cup in 2018, they made it all the way to the semifinal. This is a really good team. This is a, a team that has stars in in global soccer, almost one through eleven, mm-hmm. and we were able to show that that we could compete with them on the biggest stage. And I think you had asked someone before what a what an American draw looks like against England. 
I think the words a lot of people would have said would have would have maybe have been scrappy, hardworking. Mm-hmm. We ought we outfought them, and and there's a degree of that. I, I certainly think that we we worked hard and, and were compact and everything like that. But at the same time, I think the technical quality of, of our midfielders really showed. Um, I think that I think that. Matt Turner was the better of the two goalies, both with his hands and with his feet. And we'll get onto that as well. But it wasn't just the fact that it, this wasn't a this wasn't a backs to the wall defensive performance. I mean, we showed that that technically we can compete with with one of the best international teams in the world. Couldn't agree more. And um, you know, in 2010, when the U.S. tied England in a in a one one game. Um, the headline in the New York Post read, USA wins 1-1. Uh, although there were definitely steps taken yesterday, I think it felt like a genuine draw, right? Because we really played to their level. Like you said, it wasn't as, as scrappy. There was some serious technical skill and good play from us. So, um, yeah. Uh, to, so to move on to the actual game, Carter, if you got nothing else, um, the pregame context here. Sure. Uh, woke up at like 6.45 a.m. Uh, and I just checked in on the Iran-Wales game and looked for certain to be headed to a scoreless draw. Uh, and then laid on at the death, Iran scores two in the 99th and the 101st. Absolutely crazy. Insane. Which ultimately ultimately wasn't a, like a terrible result for the U.S. So that 0-0 result essentially meant that the World Cup is in the hands of the U.S. They control their own destiny. Um, albeit basically we would need to beat Iran in this third game or heading into the England game, we would need to beat England and then tie Iran. Uh, and in other words to say the tie was worthless except for this kind of wacky scenario. If Wales beat England on a pretty crazy off chance and it went down to goal differential, uh, a tie would basically make sure that a win versus Iran would protect against anything that Wales did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I remember kind of waking up in the morning and like you had kind of watched the, the end of that, that Wales, Iran game. And then I, I texted you in the morning saying, you know, oh, I'm talking about the results a little bit. And originally before kind of looking at the, at the group, just saying, Hey, let's try to keep it tight against England and then go all out. And then mm-hmm. your point was um, in, in correctly. So is that it almost it almost wouldn't matter what happened against England as long as we didn't get completely blown out. Yeah. Um, and and to to try to go out and win this game because um, almost you know irrespective of a win against England, which would would, would have been unlikely, it was a it was a, a game that you know just give your best and then we're gonna have to go out and try to beat Iran anyway. For sure. Um, and so some people were clamoring for some of our guys who are on yellow cards to sit, but as Greg Berhalter has done in the past, he went out and sent him out there with the, with the intention of really winning the game. So the lineup remained unchanged except for striker Haji Wright subbing in for striker Josh Sargent. England remained unchanged from their 6-2 thrashing of Iran. Um, however, the tactical setup was different this time around. Um, Coach Berhalter knew that, with England's superior technical ability, they were going to control the, the possession. And he wanted to prevent them from possessing the ball from their defense, their midfielders, really building out of the back, as we've, we've talked about in this pod. 
he wanted to block off those midfielders from receiving the ball and essentially make England take the long way around, make them go on the outside of the field if it, to build up their offense. Um, and so how he achieved that is he took our normal 4-3-3 formation, which is four defenders, three midfielders, three forwards, and he turned it into a 4-4-2 with four midfielders and two strikers. Um, and so what that looked like was it ended up being Christian Pulisic at left midfielder, Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa as the central midfielders, and then Weston McKennie out at right midfield, which is where he plays a lot of times for his club team. And then our two strikers up top were Haji Wright, who is a striker, and then Tim Weah, who moved from right wing into the striker position more centrally. Um, and I won't bore you with the details of all the technical press that, that they did, but I would say Berhalter really knocked it out of the park with his tactics um, and deserves all the credit there. So I think this pod and, and we have, and I think generally the discourse around Berhalter has been, has been lukewarm. And if you're going to criticize him when he gets things wrong, you got to, you got to praise him when he gets things right. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that he, he had those, those two forwards, which for, for maybe the, the casual fan, Think of think of two guys like two like your point guard and your shooting guard that are in your face full court press and you can't dribble it up the court from the middle like normal. You got to go. You got to have long outlet passes. They're going to be disruptive. They're, you know, you're going to have to put the ball in the hands of your center to make a pass using mm-hmm. a basketball reference. And so it's going to make it difficult to do so. And I think England were maybe expecting us to sit back and be able to, and they were going to be able to have more of the ball. Um, but we really made it difficult for them. And you have to give Burhalter credit for that. Absolutely. Um, so to, to jump right into the game here, England for the first 15 minutes, Looked like the England we expected from this game. Um, I thought they they controlled the ball. They fashioned a nice chance through Bellingham and Saka, who are two very good young players. One of them being for your team, the Arsenal, and the other being okay. for yours. Yes, that's true. How about that? Um, and Harry Kane uh, went to, went to finish finish the chance, and Walker Zimmerman, the uh, the man who committed the penalty in the first game, uh, came up with a really nice clearance that uh, stopped the ball and prevented it from going in, went out for a corner kick. Um, and then at the 15 minute mark, we had like a pretty harmless cross in the box that Haji Wright put his head on and still harmlessly went out. But I think that was like a turning point where it was like, okay, we just fashioned a chance. Um, and then the rest of the half, I think the U S really outplayed England. Uh, the, the big chances were namely Weston McKenney's uh, he received a cross from Tim Weah, as you definitely saw if you watched this game, and uh, kind of skipped up on him, and he blazed it over the bar. Carter, what did you think of this chance? Um, it's it's it, that that's a hard chance to to convert, especially as as a midfielder. You know, I think if if it were maybe if it were maybe your striker that's on the end of that, you'd hope for him to at least be able to put it on target, but. It comes to him quickly. I don't know if he's maybe expecting to to get that ball, and it's coming in at pace. It's it's fast, and being able to to get your chest over the ball to control it and put it on target um, is a hard thing to do. Obviously, it looks like a bad miss, and obviously, we'd like to be able to get the ball on target. But I don't give Weston McKinney a bunch. Like I don't I don't have a problem with him missing that chance. I'm actually 
just happy that he was being aggressive getting into the box and being on the end of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, like I said, want to put that in or at least challenge the, the England goalie. But, uh, but ultimately, I think we were just unlucky on that one. Yeah, I think, I think it would have been an exceptional goal if he put it in, but I think one that is disappointing that he couldn't even get it on frame kind of thing. So, um, yeah, the other two big chances were Christian Pulisic striking the crossbar. When a ball hits the crossbar, you're really thinking that uh, that, that was as close to a goal as you can get. Um, it was a tough angle, but still a really good effort from Pulisic. And then Sergio Dest also had um, another chance that was really created by Tim Weah where he drove at Harry Maguire and, it ended up being a corner, but I mean, the bottom line was bar. I was at was, was clapping the USA up. It was pretty clear that we had the better first half, even though England did, did create a couple chances, even through uh, Mason Mount at the very end of that half, but it was impressive. Everyone, everyone was pretty happy. I agree. And I think something for the, for the listener to, um, to, to maybe consider is the, the midfield three that England have, are three exceptional players. Like the three midfielders could pretty much walk into almost any top team in the world. Mm -hmm. And the fact that our guys were able to keep them quiet and, um, and again, Burhalter made it so that our, our two strikers were, were pressing and they couldn't, they kind of cut off the England midfield is really something to, to be proud of. And, and ultimately something that, that, what that worked for us in those first 45 minutes and and in the in the second quarter if you will of this game kind of mm-hmm. from minute you know 22 to to halftime it was definitely the, the field tilt suggested that that the US would have been the one that uh deserved to score more than England for sure yeah and Carter uh from back in our 12th episode, the one that dropped minutes before the World Cup, um, <laughs> uh, we talked about Yudis Musa and how he was a projected breakout player, not only because we think he's really good, but because he had this X factor of having lived and played in England um, and committed to the U.S., despite many English people probably not knowing who he was. Um, and I think that was a really cool thing. That That was really a prophecy, right? that Musa would go out and play really well. And I think that he did that along with the two other midfielders uh, for the U S men's national team. Must feel good for Eunice Musa, someone who, who grew up and spent a lot of his formative soccer years in England, probably played against a lot of these, you know, young English stars and being able to, to be on the same field as them and certainly play at their level was a must have been a great feeling but not just him it was it was McKinney and Adams as well who who were all you know the three of them worked really hard to to keep up with uh, that English midfield for sure and I think that that athleticism definitely showed along with the, the technical ability so um, moving on to the second half there were, there were less kind of clear-cut chances on either side um, I would say there were several instances where England was moving in transition or, uh, or beat a man and players like Tim Ream at center back, Tyler Adams in the midfield and Jedi Robinson at left back all helped their USA teammates out well to put out a fire and uh, continue, continue the good play for the U S and keep, keep England at bay. Um, we did get a lots of corners like in the, I believe it was in like the 70th minute range. Um, the U S started really, stacking up corners and 
Plusek was going to the corner flag and pumping the crowd out, which was a cool thing to see because at that point it really felt like the U.S. had a foothold in the game, right? And so um, it was a show of confidence from him and the team in general. It really Uh, did. And I will say that I was – for someone who was critical, and I think a lot of people were were rightly so uh, critical of of Pulisic's corners and free kicks after after the game against Wales, I thought they were much better, much more Mm -hmm. dangerous against England, and hopefully we can can kind of get a – Get a, a maybe a Walker Zimmerman forehead onto onto one of those uh, onto one of those corners in the in the next game, but ultimately much better from from Pulisic, who was uh, really kind of carried the the team from a from an attacking point of view in this game against England. Yeah, uh, <laughs> kind of funny enough, right? It's like. All right, we fixed that one. Uh, okay, we don't really have anybody in the, <laughs> at the end <laughs> right. of these corners. Right. <laughs> we hadn't gotten that far. Um, and so a lot of our, our free kicks and corner kicks ended up with good crosses that didn't exactly get to anyone. But, um, you know, the game kind of fizzled out and 0-0. But what I want to talk about, Carter, is really this, the situational, the tournament dynamics, right? We needed a win. As happy as I am for these guys, I want to explore what should have happened or if we're okay with what happened. So I want to talk about the fact that we didn't really go for it. That's, that's my take. I don't okay. know if you disagree with it. Um, and then I want to talk about the subs. So have you heard about this Gio Reyna rumor circling around? I have not. Please okay. inform me. Yeah. So there's this guy, Eric Winalda. He, I think he does like freelance kind of soccer coverage stuff now, but he's a former U.S. men's national team player who's played in a couple World Cups. I believe he scored um, in, in a World Cup. But he is family friends with the Reynas, with, with Gio Reynas' father, Claudio, being a ex-U.S. men's national team player. And he went on a Twitter space, you know, of, of, all, of all great places to, to spew rumors. Uh, and he essentially said that at the end of the last game against Wales, Gio Reyna had been totally good to go, and Greg Berhalter had not subbed him in, and Greg had told Gio, hey, I know I didn't sub you in, but to get our story straight, I'm going to tell the media that you were a little bit hurt, and you're going to go along with that. And so Greg told the media that, that Gio was like kind of not fit, and then Gio came out and told the media that he was 100% fit, ready to go. And allegedly that caused a rift that got in between Reyna and Berhalter. And Berhalter gave Reyna like a stern talking to. Um, and, and according to Eric Winalda, this U.S. soccer legend, Reyna's family was like devastated or particularly Claudio, um, which he, the way he said it on the Twitter space was, I've been consoling him, which was kind of weird. Uh, but so that was that was kind of a rumor floating around like in the hours before game time. Um, and that so we did not see Gio until the last 10 minutes. Um, what do you what do you make of that rumor off off first reaction? Uh, and then you can maybe weigh in on what you thought of the strategy with transfer with subbing in Gio. A couple things to, to think about here. So let's work on the assumption that that Reyna was 100% good to go. I think Burhalter trying to save face maybe did a little bit too much and shouldn't have and shouldn't have had a little white lie when trying to defend himself on when he subbed on Jordan Morris instead of instead of Gio Reyna. So 
if if Reyna is fit, you would like to see your coach man up, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. and be honest about about why he made a why he made a substitution. That being said, I don't think it is helpful for a team dynamic or a player coach dynamic for Reyna to then go out and say, "Oh, actually, I I was fit. He was wrong." So, what- can I, so can I ask you this? Because I'm asking myself the same thing. But do you think, you know, Gio Reyna is a player who's had a lot of injuries um, and he's still in his young career. You know, he's potentially thinking about himself. It is the World Cup. It's, you, would, you would imagine he's thinking of the group. But do you think he's thinking, well, I don't want my coach telling people I have, I've had more injuries. You know, that's going to affect my value as a player on the, on the transfer market or um, how, how lots of teams and agents and all that kind of thing look at me. I think that's a little – I think ultimately he just wants to play. Like, I just think that it is like you are, you're a young guy. You've been dreaming about playing in the world cup your entire life and, and you want to play. And Mm -hmm. I think in that moment, you're just going to be frustrated about the fact that you felt like you could have done better than the guy that came on in your place to try to get all three points for your country. And I think that that's a little bit, um, how about this? I doubt that he was going full galaxy brain on this okay. when talking about, you know, the minutes he's getting at Dortmund or, or, you know, his, his transfer value or anything like that. Okay. I think yeah. ultimately it's a young guy who's a little bit pissed off that he, they didn't play and just shows a little bit of a lack of, of foresight and, and maturity. Not that I blame him and not that I don't agree with him because I think I do, but I think the way that you go about that should have been, should have been a little bit different so we can talk more about the game and not what Gio Reyna's family, friends, dad, sisters, dogs, ex cousin <laughs> decided uh, to say on a Twitter space. <laughs> well, well said. I think I, I agree with your theory more than mine. Um, Gio is a bit of a, he, he's intense, man. He's a bit of a hothead. He, uh, yeah. If there's anybody on our team who would be, would be able to scream at Christian Pulisic for the ball, I think it would be Gio uh, <laughs> or, or Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams doesn't give enough either. Um, so moving on to the other kind of thing, because it, it took Gio a long time to get on the field. Um, and once he gets 10 minutes, I, I just – Carter, you can weigh in. I just personally don't think 10 minutes is enough for a guy of his caliber to really come on and make, like, a big difference. I think you got to give him more time than that. I agree, and I think, I think it's also based on the based on the formation that we were playing. I don't think that there's a there's a direct analog for something that suits him particularly well in a in mm-hmm. a four four two. Um, you or, just- I, I mean, even in a four three three. Unfortunately, I just the the way our midfield destroys. It's kind of tough. It's like he's one of our best players, but I am a little bit worried about the long term viability of um, of what we have there. I mean, we got to fit him in somehow, but. I agree. Um, but ultimately, yeah, just not on long enough to be able to to be able to have a strong feeling one way or another. He's super talented. Like the kid's legit. There's mm-hmm. no other way to say it. But I think getting on for 13 minutes in, you know, in a, in a World Cup game that's kind of, you know, tiring legs on both sides and can't really make too much of an impact. Um, I'm not going to fault him for that. I think it'd be better to judge him over, over at least a half hour. That's kind of the, that's kind of the measuring stick that I give, that I give players personally is just, I'd like to be able to see him do it for at least a half hour to yeah. really be able to judge their performance because what's, you know, a dozen minutes, yep. four, four or five touches. 
couple yeah. passes. So I think for him um, it was only yeah one or two honestly. So yeah, I'm I'm in full agreement there. Um, so instead or not instead, but an additional substitute that was made I think at the same time as Gio was right back Shaq Moore, who was a surprise inclusion on the roster. Um, he he's been Bert, one of Berhalter's favorites. He is currently in the MLS. Normally we pair those terms together and we call him an MLS favorite. However, uh, Shaq Moore has been a favorite for a lot of this time where he was actually in the second division in Spain. But either way, he's one of Berhalter's guys. Um, and so they put Shaq Moore in. He had, a, for the seven or eight minutes that he was in, he had a true disaster class. And, you know, if there wasn't anybody else on the bench worthy, you might kind of just scratch your head and go, okay, well, you know, I guess Serginio Dest, the, the right back that he replaced, isn't necessarily – 90 minutes fitness level, right? He's, he's coming back sure. from injuries. So I guess it is what it is. However, Joe Scali is on the bench. Joe is a player who plays in Germany. He's 20, 19, 20 years old. Um, he has plenty of experience for such a young guy. Um, and his first ever game was against Bayern Munich, one of the, the best team in Germany and one of the best teams in the world. And Joe has just seemingly not been a favorite of Greg's and more got on the field, made several bad fouls on England, including one that I believe led to a set piece correct uh, opportunity. And then he also in what was like the 87th minute, this was arguably the most frustrating part of the whole game. Um, there was a sequence of plays where Pulisic drove the ball down the field, kicked it to Eunice Musa, who then passed it to Brendan Aronson, who latched onto it and, threw it over to, to Shaq Moore, who was making a run. And rather than making a quick one-time cross, hard cross into the box that could have won us the game, he took a sloppy touch and basically put something harmless uh, that was easily cleared by England. Um, and so that was, again, just another one where I really feel like Berhalter put on a, a lead for him, somebody who he trusts and not somebody who would have actually been there to make the decisive play. Um, and then just to double up on that, the last play of the game, we get a set piece where it looks like we can swing the ball into the box one more time. Um, we don't even end up swinging the ball into the box, but, you know, Carter, my question is, where was our boy Matt Turner, the goalie? If, if only a win, like, helps you here, why aren't you just throwing somebody in the box the last kick of the game? Like, there's sure. no re no reason not to be – you know, extra aggressive here. Absolutely. If I if I remember correctly, we take it short on the near side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We take it short on the near side, and I don't know if it was to maybe it was to Reina. I yep. think. I, I believe and, it was. And Reina tries to put a cross in, and the and it it gets deflected out for a throw in, and then the game just ends. Yeah. Which is a little bit of of you know I think if I were. Even as a neutral, I would want the referee to play on there to let the passage of play go out. But I think an odd set-piece decision, and if at least not – you know what? It, actually, Christian, I, I agree with you. I think, I think having – I think bringing up Matt Turner just for that little bit of excitement and, and at least – give me a cross that I know is going to get into the box. Yeah. Um, I think we just got a little bit too cute there at the, at the end with, with the, with the short free kick and then trying to get it to trying to get it to Reina again, something that you try at the half hour mark, but mm -hmm. maybe not in the, in the 90 plus three when it's the last game yeah. of the game. 
Yep, just go for it, baby. That's all you got to do. Absolutely. Um, and actually, I'd like to touch on um, the that right back substitution. Yeah. Um, the So in the first game, Burhalter took off Sergio Dest and put on DeAndre Yedlin, mm-hmm. if, and who I thought was bad, bad when, he, yeah. when he came on. I, I thought think he was Berhalter bad. thought he was bad too. Yes. <laughs> and so as much as Shaq Moore was, was equally or even more so unimpressive, I give him, I give him credit for not going to Yedlin again. And mm-hmm. maybe it, and we'll, and if we come to that against, against Iran, maybe we'll, we'll switch it up and go with, and go with, um, Scally. Scally. Thank you. Yes. I was, screaming at the at the TV when when Moore didn't when didn't play the the square ball into uh into the box for I think that was Aronson that was standing there just with begging for the ball to feet and oh yeah. goodness yeah um Carter as uh as the New York Post said 12 years ago USA wins 1-1 um in this case there's an argument to be had that the USA won 0-0 uh do moral victories exist in this instance, um, and and say that Greg didn't go for it, as you and I are alleging right now, um, is that an acceptable move? So, I think I think moral victories are something that that you can look at in hindsight, but eventually, but but isn't something that gets you anything now. And okay. I think that if you nine months ago this draw is made. And, and we find out that we have England in the group. And someone tells you, hey, it's a nil-nil with England. Any person in their right mind would happily take that result. Think I'm, do you agree? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. So that is kind of the if, – if you talk about the U.S. as a project and kind of, or, or a process maybe and, and trusting the process and, and getting the World Cup experience now and, and kind of – Going playing by the rules, if you will, and and just kind of being steady in this World Cup to hopefully go on to to compete, you know, really at, at a at a greater scale when it's at home in 2026. Mm-hmm. Don't let the process be your ceiling. Let yeah. it be your floor. And what yeah. I mean by that is is don't just say that hey, oh, we drew against England. We, we got the job done. Yeah. No, I think this is an opportunity where after this World Cup six months from now, we can look back and, and pick apart this game and, and watch it again and say, you know, hey, these are the building blocks that we can build a team for years, you know, that we can really – these principles of play, we can build a team on these four years from now. Like, and that's great. But ultimately, there has to be – a bit of a, a bit of proactivity to to Burhalter and to this men's national team because World Cups are World Cups are they only come around so often and so I think giving the giving this this you know this program and this country and this fan base a lift by by delivering a moment would have been great. And while you can't ask them to de- buy, you can't demand that they do that against England. You also have to, um, you have to fault them for what feels like from the outside looking in, not trying to give us. Yeah. That. Yeah. So yeah, right at the end there. Um, yeah. That's, that's a, that's an interesting point you make in terms of the, 
the long-term project there. Um, I, I do think this, this one is one, you know, I, I personally don't feel like I need to have an opinion on. In other words, if Greg Berhalter believes that the right thing to do for his team was psychologically, I'm talking the last 15 minutes, right? Because I do think yeah. we tried to win that game. I agree. Um, I agree. If he felt like, you know what, I want to go out here and get a draw and ensure that we don't lose because I want my boys to walk around for the next three, four days with their heads held high, knowing that they, they got a point from England and the confidence that gives them. I think this is just something I'm going to defer to his judgment on because ultimately part of me feels like you should have just gone for it, like whatever. But you know what? He knows those guys inside his, his dressing room. He knows um, that they're a young group and he, he prides himself on keeping a cohesive unit. So um, if, if not losing was important to him, uh, I think I'm going to defer judgment until after this Iran game. Spot on. We'll leave it at that. Um, cool. Okay. So just to move on to Iran real fast. Carter, did you see the other news that was breaking today with uh, U.S. soccer in Iran? Oh, my goodness. So if, if you haven't seen it, um, the, the U.S. men's national team, you know, blue checkmark, gray checkmark, whatever you want to call it, official uh, Twitter account, this tweeted a, a picture of the, of the group standings. And to the, you know, to the, the naked eye probably wouldn't cause too much of a stir. But when they put the rankings with the flags, they decided to use an alternate flag for Iran. Is that correct, Christian? Yeah, that's correct. Go on. And uh, the, specifically, they like removed, you know, Iran's flag was a little bit like Italy, but horizontal with a like Islamic Republic symbol in the middle, I guess. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but they essentially removed that symbol um, in an effort to stand in solidarity with the women's rights protests happening in Iran right now, which uh, is all well and good. (laughs) It's crazy. We've, we've caused the uproar with an intern knowing, knowing very basic Photoshop, Um, but (laughs) they did not consult the team, Greg Berhalter or the rest of the team, uh, and they also didn't consult the U.S. government in doing this. And Iran is very unhappy. Um, they, they are just out of their mind pissed. They want the U.S. actually thrown out of the tournament for this um, because it's, quote, unquote, disrespectful, which uh, I don't think they're going to get their wish. But I, if, as if this game was not going to be geopolitically charged enough. I mean, I remember reading previews of the World Cup and all these teams had different uh, different objectives. Right. And it was like. England wants to win the World Cup. The U.S. wants to escape the group. This other team wants to score a goal, right? And Iran's was Iran wants to beat the United States because it's a geopolitical Super Super Bowl for them, uh, and uh, we're already seeing it built. So I kind of want to just briefly talk about what I view as the, the positives and negatives uh, going into this matchup. So on the negative side of things, Iran, the, a lot of their bread and butter has been bunkering, parking the bus, and springing on counterattacks in pretty low-scoring games, utilizing their uh, their striker, who's pretty much their best player, who plays in Portugal. And I think if you're pointing to reasons why they might bunker, ultimately a draw moves them on to the next round, and the USA struggles against a bunker. The England game that the USA just played is actually more to their style, where they um, are kind of fighting tooth and nail with the team in the midfield as opposed to really – being forced to, to create the ideas that break the other team down. And of course we've, we've talked about the, the lack of a really good goal score 
um, that, that can generally finish things off in that instance. So that would be the negatives with a bunker. However, Carter, spin zone. I think that this whole geopolitical controversy might actually play into our favor because I don't think the Iranians, even with a World Cup round of 16 berth on the line, I would guess that they are going to want to bring one home for their people uh, and, and shove it in the United States' face. I don't think a draw is going to do that. I think they might try to be expansive and win. Um, I think that this flag controversy is only fuel on the fire for that. I think it could get chippy, maybe open up a little bit. I think that would be something that plays into the U.S. strengths. Um, it's also worth noting that Iran, after having a really bad first game, went out and uh, played more of an expansive style, did, did not park the bus against Wales in that second game that they won. Um, so any, any thoughts on that? So in the beginning of this podcast, I talked about, I talked about the World Cup being a, a tournament of moments. And I, if you're an Iranian player, you are looking to have a moment for um, either, at least, if not your people, at least your government that is um, ruling with an iron fist at the moment. And if that is scoring a goal against the United States or having a, a um, you know, studs up tackle on Pulisic <laughs> or something like that, I'm serious. I think yeah, that yeah. that is comes to when it comes to a you know a tournament of moments. There are going to be 11 players on that field run that are all looking to to have it be their moment. And I think that level-headedness would be the best salve to something like that, but I don't expect that to be the case. Yeah, and so this is also a take that I might have. Not that our players don't want to beat Iran uh, geopolitically, if, if you would say, but I don't have a feeling that our players care nearly as much, right? I don't think they have a distaste of Iran that they've grown up with their entire lives. Like I think right. we might be less likely to jump in the fight and do something rash. Right. I, I think that it is, it, what it's really going to come down to, we've said it a bunch of times, second youngest team in the tournament. We are obviously, and just need to be able to keep our heads. And be, because the Iranian team are grown men that have grown up for, for, we won't get into the, into the validity of their reasons, but hating the United States in one way or the other, mm-hmm. and will try to impose their dominance on us from the beginning. And it's really just going to come down to if this young team can keep their heads and play to the, to the level that, that we can, because yep. technically we, we have our 11 best players are better than theirs. Yep. They are. And I'm not afraid to say that. And, and yep. I think that, it is okay to accept that, that we have the better team. But we know, and, and why do we love sport? Because it's not just about, you know, the best team doesn't win every time. Yep. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And I think that, the, that, the, that Iran is really going to try to wind us up, get into our heads. And I think if we can just stay calm and play our game, I feel good about our chances getting into a knockout game. Awesome. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to give my lineup. Um, I, I agree with all the points there. Let's let's keep it level-headed and let's calmly break them down. Um, I want to see basically the same exact lineup that we have seen 
but I want to see the four three three formation um, that we played with against Wales. I think it it uh it makes more sense in this instance, given uh, Iran is not such a such a technically skilled team. Um, and I want to see Tim Weah move from the right wing into the striker position. Uh, I, I wouldn't have really felt comfortable with that because I don't really like trying something totally new in such big games as the World Cup. But um, playing him as a, as a second striker the other day, I did think he was still found ways to be effective. Um, and I think playing him as the lone striker uh, would not be as big of a shock to his system, if you will, um, against Iran. And I, I think by doing that, you allow that right wing spot for Gio Reyna. Um, but ultimately – whether it's rain at right wing or you throw way back there, I think some fluidity trying some things because you're not scoring goals as, as much as maybe we've had some upbeat uh, reactions uh, to this, this podcast and uh, to that first half against Wales, you, you have one goal to show for it. So you, you need to try things, even if that means you give 20 minutes to Reina and rain at right wing and way at striker and then you switch them or whatever it may be. You've got to try something to break Iran down. Um, and that's, that's the lineup I would like to see. I would go with I would go with something similar, but I would play so I would play a four three three like you. I think the back five, you know, the, the four defenders in Turner stay the same. I would have Musa, McKinney, and Adams again as the midfield three. Pulisic on the left. I would have Weah on the right. And I would play Brendan Aronson through okay. the middle as a as kind of a, a false nine or have him rotate out to the right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, there was not a more in-form player heading into the World Cup for the United States than Brendan Aronson. Um, he is... I, think so. I that I would stand on that hill. Okay. I, I really believe that. Um, I seeing him seeing him for Leeds has he has been he has worked extremely hard. He's been a catalyst for them. And I think that if you are going to sit back like Iran may do, kind of sit back, you're looking for someone who can unlock a defense, who can yeah. who can pick the lock. And I don't know if Reyna has the physical intensity to do so right now with some of the injuries that he may or may not be be struggling with. Okay. And I would I would lean on Brendan Aronson to be that ball of energy and also have the technical ability to to really um, try to create some opportunities because I don't think that we've seen the best of him yet coming on for twenty five minutes here, fifteen minutes there um, against w- without really kind of being able to get into the into the groove of the game. Yeah, um, I think that in the event that that Iran does come out of their shell and maybe not park the bus. He's especially a player uh, that could be good for that. Just, just given his strengths and transition. Um, and uh, yeah, so maybe depending on the game, if it's a low block, I definitely want geo. Whereas uh, I could definitely be down for Aronson if, if it turns out to be more of an expansive game. Um, Carter blast having you on as always thought, thought we, uh, that we brought home a decent reaction here and um, you know, hopefully there's a couple more podcasts to go. I, pre- I appreciate you jumping on the audio only one here um and yeah hopefully we can run this again 
Absolutely. I, I would I would love to be I'm I'm already really looking forward to the to the semifinal reaction that I'm sure you're gonna have <laughs> me. Uh that, you, you can mark me down for that one. No, but but in all honesty, um always a uh, always a pleasure to get on. Really looking forward to 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 being able to watch this team and what I think is gonna be it, a really good game for, for, for casual fans. I think that these are going to be two teams that are willing to slug it out. The United States needs to go for the win. They need to score goals. And we already talked about what the, uh, what the, what, what it means to, what it means to Iran. So um, always a pleasure having me on and, uh, and, and looking forward to a, uh, to a stars and stripes winner. Awesome. That sounds like a plan to me. Let's go get them.